Hello, and welcome to the Fidelity Next podcast, a podcast for post-secondary students, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada, where we'll provide you with the tools you need to navigate your impending careers successfully in today's landscape. More and more investors are aligning their investments with their values, and we're joined today by ESG analyst Courtney Bedell to discuss the growth of ESG investing. Courtney shares with host Emily Ananuevo that environmental, social, and governance are the three key pillars used to assess companies from a social responsibility standpoint. And Courtney is part of a team that creates internal ESG ratings for companies, which includes focusing on which issues are financially material to a specific company. A tech company, as Courtney explains, may be judged on data privacy, while an energy company will be graded on emissions from the energy they are providing. Courtney also shares how she first joined Fidelity six years ago as a trading representative after a double major in economics and sociology, and how she transitioned to her current role in Fidelity's Boston office. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Next. I'm your host, Emily Enenwebo. Recent studies show millennials are serious about ESG investing activities, so serious about it that they are putting their money where their values are. And young investors are proving to be more socially and environmentally conscious than their parents' generation by supporting companies that are taking a real stand on social and green issues. So what is sustainable investing? How are companies adapting their mandates to be more socially and environmentally conscious? And what recent ESG trends should young people be aware of? To answer those questions and more, we welcome ESG analyst Courtney Bedell. Courtney, thank you so much for being here and joining me today. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Yes, looking forward to diving into this widely popular topic of sustainable investing. Courtney, before we dive into this topic, so you've been with Fidelity for six years now, and you started out as a trading representative and now on the ESG team. What was that transition for you from college into the workforce? And where did your passion for investing in the financial world begin? Yeah, thank you so much. So, you know, starting on the transition, um, to be honest, it was really anxiety ridden for me. It really felt like everyone around me had it all figured out. Um, they knew exactly what they wanted to do and how they wanted to get there. And I just had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to pursue more schooling. I didn't know if I wanted to teach. I was really just all over the map and, and felt really stressed that I just didn't have a good idea of what I wanted. I had dual majored in economics and so sociology. And my capstone project was actually on whether board diversity influences performance at corporations. And I was really interested in the interplay between social factors and the financial world. 
you know, I just started really applying to any job that I thought I was remotely qualified for on Indeed and ended up going through the interview process for just one role and got offered a job as that trading representative for Fidelity. And, you know, ultimately it wasn't It wasn't what I thought I'd be doing, but, you know, during the time I I got a lot of fulfillment out of, you know, working with customers, learning all about personal financing, really developing strong, soft skills, like being able to break down complex topics, you know, relate to people on a personal level over the phone. So, you know, I think that's really where my passion for investing started. In that role, my focus was on providing account maintenance and trading and helping, just helping customers with their personal finances. And you really realize how important savings are and how critical strong performing investments are to people's personal goals and how life milestones it is like going to college and buying a house. And that really was a a turning point for me and understanding how important it was to make sure that, you know, as a company, we deliver really well-performing, strong investments to for our customers to choose from. Absolutely. It's so refreshing for you to actually say that, you know, out of college, you didn't know what you wanted to do because I think many students on the line feel the same. But for you, when you got into Fidelity, that's when you started to realize where your passion lies. And like you said, helping people realize their personal financial goals. It's such an eye opener. And you've also obviously been doing something right. You've been here for six years and now you're part of the ESG team. I know it's a real passion of yours and you, you've described the ESG team, a small and nimble team. Can you describe what you do as an analyst? It's really a hard question to answer. I'm lucky enough (laughs) my day-to-day is so varied, but I guess I'll start by just explaining what my role is and then maybe give a few examples of my day-to-day. But right now, I currently cover oil and gas materials and the industrial sectors from an ESG perspective. And a main responsibility of mine is to rate companies within those sectors from an ESG perspective so that we can begin to incorporate that into our investment process. In addition to that, I'm focusing on developing and sharing expertise largely related to the environment and the climate based on that relation to the sectors that I cover. I also help the team with shareholder proposal voting on on environmental and social aspects. And just a quick background on that, Every company has annual meetings that shareholders are able to vote on the running of a company. Shareholder proposals are proposals that are brought forth by external shareholders and not by the board. I mean, it's really asking for a change in what the company is doing. So they require careful consideration and they're taken really seriously. Fidelity. That's a lot on your plate, but I I just find it so fascinating because like I mentioned off the top, ESG and sustainable investing just the popularity of those themes and those terms in the last several years, like we said, has just gained so much significance and popularity. So let's just break down the main concepts there, if you can, for us, Courtney. What does ESG stand for? What is sustainable investing? Are they the same thing? So I'll start with the easy one. What does ESG stand for? Um, So that's environmental, social, and governance. 
really see those as like the three key pillars that we use to assess companies from a social responsibility standpoint. In terms of sustainable investing versus ESG, I think of them as slightly different things. I see ESG as more of a system to understand the sustainability of an individual investment. It is a certain company negatively or positively impacting the climate, Are employees being treated well? Does the company have strong governance practices in place so they can provide good oversight? And so looking at companies from an ESG perspective is is something that you can naturally integrate in your investment process. Whereas sustainable investing, I think, is a bit more narrow. I think that sustainable investing, the funds that do that likely have a mandate that's focused on maybe low carbon or, or women's leadership. And that is the key factor that influences stock selection, as opposed to maybe a more integrated approach that uses both performance and ESG performance kind of together. I think sustainable investing may be more inclined to be exclusionary, maybe not investing in certain sectors that aren't aligned with that the portfolio manager might have. That's how I would look at ESG versus sustainable investing. I see. So some similarities, but as you noted, some distinct differences as well. So, I mean, in in just general terms, why do you think sustainable investing and that term ESG is so widely popular now, specifically amongst uh, young investors, Gen Z and millennials? What are your general thoughts on that? You know, I think that we're seeing younger generations really See the challenges um, that we're facing. I think climate change is a big one where there may be frustration that, you know, that's not being managed globally in a way that's good for future generations. And I think that thinking about where you are allocating your money is something that's very appealing when these issues have such a, an emotional and, you know, are just so important for future generations. And I think that there's a real appeal to being able to both get returns as well as feel that you're doing the best that you can do in terms of where your money is going to impact the environment and, you know, other aspects of society in a positive way. Absolutely. And I think you hit the um, nail on the head there talking just about the emotional connection. Sometimes your investments have on you and, and, and young people are showing that they care about the companies they're investing in. They want to care about the, you know, what the companies are doing. They want to know fully what, how they're supporting social and green initiatives. So what kind of rating systems do you use when evaluating companies through an ESG lens? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I think historically, if everyone is familiar with MSCI or Sustainalytics, they're some of the largest third-party ratings agencies, similar to like Fitch ratings for fixed income. So I think that these have been the most well-known ratings, and those have really been a good starting point for us to build knowledge. Fidelity now, though, is trying to utilize its really deep expertise across industries, given our active management approach to create proprietary ratings. A few things in terms of how we rate companies, I think that the biggest thing is that we're really focused on materiality. So what issues are financially material to a company? So 
you know, a, a technology company, we're going to be very, very focused on data privacy and security. While an energy company, we're going to be focused on their efforts to clean up the, the energy and the emissions that's coming out of the energy that they're providing. So I think that materiality and focusing on the key issues so that we're managing the biggest risks for our shareholders is really the goal as we approach it. So, yeah, I would say that materiality is the biggest thing. And then I think the other thing that we're really focused on is ensuring that these ratings are forward looking. We want to understand where a company is at right now in terms of their ESG journey. But given how new this is um, in a relative sense, we want to understand how committed management is going forward. So are they hiring a chief diversity officer that reports directly to the CEO? Are they starting to report on their emissions and and the breakdown of their workforce so that we can understand how diverse it is? So these are the things that are improving and we want to be able to capture that um, so that we we can look at companies that may not be in the top tier right now, but say, you know, we think they're going in the right direction here to get there. Or maybe on the other side, we're looking at another company and they're disclosing a bunch of things, but it doesn't seem that action is really taking place to to really make a difference. And so trying to get through what we might call greenwashing and seeing maybe if there's more of a negative outlook on ESG because a company isn't authentically managing their ESG risks. So those are some of our goals as we approach rating companies. Now, to dive deeper into it, I know part of your day-to-day, you said that your focus is on oil, gas, and industrials, I believe. So how do you take that same ESG lens and apply it to the oil and gas sector? It's challenging. Um, I think that when you look at what we need in an energy transition, Oil and gas continues to play a role in almost every scenario when you're looking at the energy mix. And so one of my goals when I'm looking at the oil and gas sector is to really understand how efficient of an operator they are and if the company is really taking the steps needed to really reduce their their impact on the climate. So some things that really stand out for oil and gas companies, for example, might be investments into carbon capture, which is going to be very, very important for the industry. It's what they're doing to reduce some of their I guess you'd call it low-hanging fruit. So methane emissions are are very important in the near term for reducing contributions to global uh, to climate change. And so making sure that companies are managing their methane emissions specifically is something that we're paying attention to. And so I think that you know all that goes to say that it's still important to understand best-in-class companies in the oil and gas sector and to really incentivize continued behavior improvements in the industry so that we can get to a better spot from a climate perspective. And I guess, you know, I I focus on, I asked you about oil and gas because maybe young people, young investors, they associate oil and gas companies to not being green and friendly, not being socially conscious, but I know you have a soft spot for those companies because you know, you hear a lot of those companies trying to be more ESG friendly, right? So uh, it all goes to the misconception sometimes that ESG investing uh, may not be associated to the typical companies you think that are not, you know, supporting green initiatives, right? 
Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's really important to remember that we don't have the infrastructure in place to wipe out oil and gas tomorrow, even if like we wanted to. Um, so we really need oil and gas companies. But having said that, there definitely needs to be improvements. So yeah, I absolutely agree that, you know, oil and gas companies tend to get a, a bad reputation. And I think that, you know, when you look at the emissions impacts of the sector, it's it's well-deserved in that way. Um, but, it, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the industry has taken um, major steps to being really excellent reporters on their emissions data. Most companies that I cover have targets set for reducing their emissions. Many, many companies have net zero targets for their operations. And it's obviously not perfect. And we need more to to accomplish our goals. But I think that from our perspective as active managers, it's really important to have that seat at the table so that we can continue to encourage oil and gas companies to continue to improve their performance because, you know, they're, they're not going to go away tomorrow. And so the more improvement that we have today, the better off we all are. Absolutely. A few more questions for you. So besides oil and gas and industrials, what other industries do you evaluate based on ESG principles? Yeah, absolutely. So me personally, I cover oil and gas materials and industrials, which is quite a widespread coverage. Um, <laughs> and if we're talking about fidelity as a whole, we do cover all sectors. I'm on a team with five other analysts and we've essentially split our coverage by sector. So, so we do cover all from healthcare to technology to REITs and financial. So all sectors are covered. Where do you find your job satisfaction as an ESG analyst? I'm really, I'm obviously very passionate about managing our investments in the, in the best way for future generations and think that's a really important position for asset managers. And, you know, my personal satisfaction comes from going back to being on the phone. I saw customers who were really, really pleased when they looked at their account 10 years later and saw how much value appreciated. And I think I realized how much customers place their trust in asset managers and fidelity over the long term to manage their assets mm -hmm. in a way that will benefit them, I mean, over decades. And so I, I see my role as really important to looking for both opportunities and risks in maybe a more, a slightly more qualitative way than some of our fundamental analysts are looking at it. And I think the integration of the two really points to a, a pretty strong active management style that that's going to deliver good returns. So hopefully that answers your question, but that's where I get, uh, that's where I get a lot of satisfaction from. Um, another question here talking about the year that was 2020, obviously the pandemic of COVID-19. Has that changed, the, has COVID-19 changed the sustainable investing landscape? And a uh, second part to the question, has the role of your job changed based on what transpired over the past year in 2020? Yeah, another, another great question. Um, you yeah. know, on our team, we often look at COVID as an ESG accelerator. And so what we think COVID has done is really bring a lot of the issues that we've been focused on for a few years now to the forefront. I think that, you know, I'm reading um, Bill Gates' book on how to avoid a climate disaster. And, you know, one of the things he talks about is that there's a five, there was a 5% reduction in emissions throughout 2020. And that came really from a halt to 
the economy. And, and that's the emissions reduction that we need year over year to 2050 to reach net zero. And so I think that's a really humbling realization that we have a lot of work to do on climate change. And then I think we're seeing just those same observations. I think that all the focus on essential workers and the critical work that they do for the economy and, and how they're treated by the companies that they work for, something that we were looking at beforehand and only became more important. And then obviously all of the focus on Black Lives Matter following the George Floyd um Tragedy is something that we were obviously very focused on diversity and realized that we needed to apply more focus on racial diversity and ensuring that the companies that we're invested in are, are really focused on that. So I, I wouldn't say it changed anything. Um, I think that all of us felt, you know, a lot of pressure to do our jobs um, in a way that positively impacted a lot of things that we were seeing, what felt like every day throughout 2020. Yeah, I don't think the priorities changed. I think that there was just renewed focus um, on, on all of this and really bringing it to the forefront of, of the conversation. What fascinating observations and insights, uh, you know, in that answer and, and just incredible to know that if we pull together how much impact socially and environmentally we can do as a community, like you, you quoted that stat from the Bill Gates book. I mean, that's just incredible. And, and all the climate, race and social issues that transpired in 2020, it's just, it's, and it's progress and, and continuing on in 2021. It's just incredible. Another question for those who are interested, but have minimal knowledge in ESG investing. What would you recommend for gaining more knowledge in that space? I think that it's fair to say that ESG is still in its early stages. You know, I would just encourage everyone if they're interested to really just read as much as you can. And, and this is really not the answer that people are looking for, but, um, you know, I read whatever I can on the issues that matter for the companies that I am covering. I think it's interesting to look at solutions based companies. I would recommend thinking about what really matters to you and then really researching what makes an impact. I think that, you know, if you're really interested reading corporate social responsibility reports by companies can give some really good insight on the initiatives that companies are taking on, as well as the types of data that they're providing. So understanding the types of emissions data that that's being provided, what types of goals these corporations are looking to the future on, how, how they're talking about diversity in the workplace. I think that these are really interesting reports to look at as you're considering companies that you might want to work for. I think it gives some good insight and you can kind of see the priorities of the company from an ESG perspective. I mean, and that can give some insight if, if that's important to you in your career. No, I think that's a valuable insight and recommendation just to young people and young investors to read research and then read some more because all you can do is just be educated and better informed. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions that are tied to responsible investing and thinking that it means sacrificing returns. But um, that's not the case. I mean, young investors are proving that they can invest in, in, in ESG friendly companies 
and it's it's not you know and it's making a huge impact on them financially and personally would you agree yeah i would absolutely agree and and maybe an interesting tidbit for everyone um this is obviously something that fidelity is very interested in because ultimately we want to make sure that we're delivering the highest returns we can to our customers and shareholders so something that we did a while ago was we we back tested about 7 years of msci esg ratings we what we found was that high ESG scoring companies outperform the market by more than one percent every year over those seven years. You know these results were adjusted for sector bias, so it's not a function of just maybe poorly scoring energy companies during that time period. Really promising results. Obviously, it's only seven years, which is a little bit limited from a back test, and that's because MSCI has only really done ESG scores in earnest for about seven years, and so we're looking forward to continuing. To to track that relationship between ratings and performance. But I think that these results make us at least very confident that there's no sacrifice in performance and there might even be an opportunity for outperformance. But obviously, again, with that caveat that seven years of data is, is not a huge period of time in, in terms of backtesting. So I think the results are still promising, though. I want to squeeze in one last question to you, Courtney, and ask you, what is the biggest, most significant change you've seen in the ESG landscape over the last several years? What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think that really the biggest change and the most rewarding change from my perspective is that over the past four to five years that I've been really involved in in ESG is really seeing how mainstream it's become in conversations. When I first started, it was often a surprise to companies that we wanted to talk about ESG. And sometimes it was a little bit of a defensive reaction, thinking that we expected them of poor performance. And that wasn't it at all. We were just interested. Interested. Now we bring up ESG and management teams are just really excited to talk about what they're doing for their employees, what they're doing for the environment. And it's just amazing. I think the expertise is increasing on both sides. And I, I really think that corporations are largely excited to pursue opportunities to both perform well and do well. I think that as, as everyone here enters the workforce, that's going to be even more pressure on, on corporations to want to do well, to attract and retain employees. And so it's it's really exciting. I think it's just going to continue to, to move in that direction. Bernie, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing your wonderful insights. I'm sure the students on the line appreciate your time as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Emily. This was really fun. Hope to have you on the show again soon. For more information on Fidelity, career opportunities, what we do as a company, and our culture, just visit careers.fidelity.ca. You can also find replays of Fidelity Next on fidelity.ca. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts, Follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a five-star rating. Thanks. See you next time.